I feel like we got to talk about Joker, Christian. Welcome to Movies and Shit. Yeah, well, you did it. I didn't even have to do an intro. I know you've been pining to do a Movies and Shit intro for a while, too, so I'm glad that without your permission or knowledge even, you just got to do one. So, mm-hmm. awesome. And we're talking about the Joker, man. Uh, and I honestly, I, even if I would have done the intro, it wouldn't have been as good as that because I'm sort of just so fucking annoyed by this movie. And I don't yeah. know. I feel like you theater. were annoyed by it before you even went in the theater. Is that coloring your experience at all? Uh, no, because I think I was more excited about it than you were. Yeah. Uh, you you were kind of low-key defending it uh, before you saw it. Like, you were going into it with, I think, like, higher expectations than I did, for sure. I wanted to believe, based on the trailers and based on, like, the the the... the era of cinema that it was trying to pay uh, homage to that it was going to be great good couple of trailers right okay so we agreed the trailers were fundamentally sound the problem is the trailers are also i think better than the movie in my personal opinion i saw it the day it came out you just watched it i believe two days ago so you're a little bit fresher on this than i am we talked about this on uh, where's my burrito although i believe this will release before that episode of where's my burrito releases so you know we should probably just save, uh, you know, kind of, kind of restate a couple things and so on and so forth. But um, if I can, just quickly, like, you know me, uh, you know I'm a big comic book guy. You know, there's a billion fucking superheroes and shit like that, and it's gonna seem whatever. But like, Batman is that one that the casual person knows more than most, right? But, like, Batman and Super uh, Spider Man are really those. Like, we know those origins to a fucking deafening degree at this point. Uh, and beyond that, it's it's one of the superheroes that I've always personally really loved because there's no superpowers really to it. You know, it's a guy who makes a moral decision and he has enough money to, to back that up or whatever. But um, it's still someone who chooses without having the superpowers of Superman or Green Lantern or Wonder Woman to still try to do something. Poor people, yeah. Right, right, right. Which is the real crux of this movie. Uh, which it kind of is, actually. And I think there's yeah, some interesting kind of avenues. A, a big old spotlight on that. Just like that Gotham City is this sick, dying place, much like New York was in the taxi driver 70s. Right. Um, and the solution that, you know, the government took in New York was to, you know, pass reforms and start investing money into the city to start, you know, rebuilding and, like, to try to, like, drive the the scum, you know, off of the streets, whatever, like help to build up uh, programs and social programs to help people lift themselves up, uh, raise taxes to a ridiculous degree, never figure out how to work out the trash problem, but that's neither here nor there. Whereas in the Batman universe, Batman's solution to that is to uh, dress up like a bat and just beat the shit out of poor people. So this movie definitely does... (laughs) You know. It's a bit of a reductionist view, I feel, but like, yeah, more or less, you're kind of right. Specifically, though, what's interesting about Joker is that you're going into it with sort of a promise of Batman not showing up by virtue yeah. of like when it's taking place and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, this could be interesting. Also, off the bat, love Joaquin Phoenix. I think off he's a great bat. actor. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> you, bad. you won. No, I'm so proud there. of you. <laughs> It's better if you don't, like, put a fucking magnifying glass on top of it, but whatever. Thank you. Um, no, I mean, I, I love Joaquin Phoenix, and I think he's a wonderful actor, and, you know, obviously he's uh, almost worth the price of admission if you want to see a mostly solid performance, although he How has a great... would it have been if, like, a car nearly hit him in this movie and, and he went, hey, I'm Joaquin here? <laughs> 
All right, I think we should stop doing this podcast because off the bat, and I'm Joaquin here, like, that's it. There's no mountain left to climb on this fucking critical analysis, Max. It's over. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I'm sorry. Like, go ahead and continue. I, I, I've, I'm terrible. I'm going to shut the hell up. No, I love it so much. Uh, no, I mean, look, the, the long and short of it is he's, he, we knew going in he was going to be doing something really interesting. Uh, mostly it works for me. I'm curious to see how it works for you. There's a couple things I wasn't super thrilled by. But mostly, like, yes, he did his job. He showed up. He did something good. If this was always supposed to be a, a starring vehicle for him, then, like, mission accomplished, I guess. Uh, I think I just took umbrage with it because specifically it's coming, it's, it's trying to pay homage to an era of cinema, uh, which I think you and I both really love. Uh, maybe the era of cinema that made me love films as we know it. You know, before I watched like some Martin Scorsese films, before I watched Francis Ford Coppola films, you know, those early like new Hollywood directors and shit like that. Uh, even Bogdanovich to a lesser extent, right? Like Last Picture Show. I liked movies. I didn't give a shit about cinema. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and this is like the era that really taught me to love that stuff. So I think I came from it like, oh, maybe this is going to be great because it seems like someone who obviously was a child when those films were coming out could mm-hmm. have a real affinity for it. Maybe he's going to do something really great with it. And on top of that, give us a, you know, a descent into to, to madness, which is, again, something that Scorsese had done with Taxi Driver, with King of Comedy, so on and so forth. So it's like a little, a little, uh, a little disappointing. <laughs> That's like burying the lead. It's a little disappointing is what I will say right off the bat. Uh, before we deep dive into it, what's your thoughts, man? Because I've been pontificating for like a week now. What's your deal? Uh, so, I mean, uh, okay. So f- I have a lot of thoughts, I guess. Um, but all of them are kind of lukewarm. So it's, it's weird to have as many lukewarm thoughts uh, as I do. It doesn't happen that often. I will say that I think that the Scorsese influence, you know, I went into this expecting it to be worse. And in a weird way, I think I built that up so much that when I saw the movie, I was pleasantly surprised that it's more indebted to a movie like The Machinist than it is to a movie like Taxi Driver or King of Comedy in terms of the story beats it hits. Sure. Um, it, it does hit some of them, and but it's more like visually, I think, that it's indebted to Taxi Driver sure. or King of Comedy. Travis Bickle, and you talked about it before, was never like this entirely, entirely broken person from the moment you meet him. Like, he has some amounts of agency. He just doesn't know how to relate to people. But, like, he has enough agency and and enough self-awareness that he can plausibly, like, not seduce, but plausibly, like, get Sybil Shepard on the hook and, like, get her to go out on a date with him just through sheer confidence Right. Uh, whereas this guy, Arthur Fleck, would never, ever be able to convince any living human woman or man that he's normal for a second. Like, right. it's impossible for him from the moment that the film opens. And that's sort of the problem, is that you start your movie with a character who is literally pitiful. You know, just hard to watch uh, pretty much at every turn. And Joaquin does his best with it, but it's not a fun watch to watch that person gain confidence and just become a louder, more pitiful, more pitiful person. Because I was also sold on this idea that, oh, you're going to watch him transform. And it's like this success story, but it's perverse. But really, he just stuttered less and he laughed less, but he was still the same pitiful. Well, you're kind of nailing it. There is no, there's no Travis Bickle descent into madness so much as like he was already kind of mad and there is no great transformation. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like the violence. You could say he's got more uh like more pluck 
right? Like he's able to defend himself. <laughs> uh, but but it, there certainly isn't this this grand change. Uh, yeah. And so when you start, I mean, from the very first scene, dude, it's like, oh, he's dancing. Oh, he gets beat up. He gets, you know, jumped and blah, 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 blah. And like, yeah, which, by the way, that that first scene from that first scene, I was like, I'm watching a goddamn cartoon movie right now <laughs> because no hooligans have ever behaved like that. Right. In, in his not since fucking Dickens, right? Because it seemed like something out of Dickens where like yeah. someone will go spill a Coke and then while the, the shop owner's cleaning it up, the other one's like rob the fucking store. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they, no they one acts really like this. Br- they were literally verbal, like this guy chases them. And then they were literally verbalizing, hit him with the sign. Now kick him. He's on the ground, guys. Hey, guys, come on. Let's kick him in the stomach. Like, it was ridiculous. And I'm not exaggerating. They literally say those things in the movie. Right. And I'm like, all right, we're in for a ride. <laughs> well, because someone had, like, someone, I mean, Todd Phillips was like, you know what? We should have them announce what they're going to do. Because right. it's not like it's fucking moving pictures, Todd. It's not like you can't right. just have them do the thing you want them to do. If they just started kicking him, I would have been like, well, I don't know. What is happening here? I don't understand. Do they, are they psychic? Do they all know to just join in? Like, how does this work? My Lord. I mean, like, yeah, so immediately you're, you're lacking the nuance or the subtlety of, you know, one of these films. I think it's trying to kind of, um, you know, pay respects to or whatever. But yeah. so, I mean... Well, uh, well, go ahead. You're going to say something on the side. Go ahead. Yeah, I just again wanted to, and this is the last time I'll bring it up because I think that I've seen so many reviews overstate this. Is that I don't think it's a rip off of Taxi Driver or King of Comedy. I think that it's hitting a lot of the uh, overarching story beats that the you know dangerous loner character type has to hit. But it's not a straight up rip off. It's a lot of other things that aren't good, but it's not that. Like yeah, well, I think the ripoff is certainly in in the tone that it's trying to set visually. Uh, like, yeah. like, like with, with the, de- the the deteriorating city, the the you know this infrastructure. Which, that's go ahead. I would actually say that I liked uh, in terms of like the set design and the look of the film, and even down to the the text in the film, like with that kind of like old fashioned yellowy curly font. I don't know what exactly that was, but I saw. It. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and maybe that's nostalgia talking up to a point, but they nailed the overall aesthetic of like, I I felt like I was watching the deuce, like a story just set in like the crumbling, you know, prostitute and porno theater ridden world of Times Square, 1974 or something. Does it ever fuck with you? This is like slightly off topic, but just the idea, because you brought the deuce up and I think like that's a show shot. Obviously, New York City today, which New York City today looks fucking nothing like New York City in the 70s, right? But still, the idea that, like, there was almost this natural conclusion. And that's what I liked about Taxi Driver a lot, where you're like, and and Travis kind of, like, says that himself in the film, where it's like, it's all fucking rotty. Like, this is the natural conclusion. This is the only way it was going to end, you know? Like, 150 fucking years of this city. And, of course, it's led to this deteriorating thing. And then you think about New York today in, like, you can talk shit about how they got there, right? Some shady business practices like gentrification, hardcore and shit like that. But still the idea that New York is what it is now, which is like sort of a cleanish metropolis, like depending on where you are, yeah. and knowing where it was 50 years ago is sort of fucking impressive, right? You're like, wow, that's yeah. incredible. I mean, I feel like I can comfortably walk in almost any part of the city at like two, three in the morning and not be like concerned for my safety. Like I've never really been like scared here right. ever. Which is what everybody from the suburbs when you're moving here tells you, like, oh, you're going to... It's a war zone. It's a war... Yeah, you better bring some mace or a knife or something. It's like, I think that would cause more trouble for me than anyone else, but okay. 
I would spray myself with mace, you know, like I like knowing myself, that's probably what end up happening, but neither here nor there. I just thought it was like an amazing, like side thought for a second, because again, they shot in the Bronx, they shot in like New York, I believe they shot in a couple places. But yeah, like I'd say, give it some credit, not you specifically, but people out there, give it some credit for the, like the production design and everything on a fairly limited budget for a superhero movie or whatever. Like they, they did, they did it, they did it well. You know, every surface in this film looks grimy and lived in, um, so they, they they did some stuff right. Yeah, no, I think the cinematography is pretty good. But again, it's like I'm looking at someone who is trying to affect that 70s cinema vibe. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like, oh, it's totally original. I thought the score was really wonderful. I'm going to be honest. I did like Bring that. that up by Chernobyl yeah. lady whose name Oh, I, I did not know that. Same person. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, there are things to like about the film. I think that where, it's, where it really sputters, one, and I don't know. Tell me, tell me, you're a little bit more removed from this. Am I reacting against Todd Phillips in the press for this film think, as well? Uh, well, here's, I, I don't think that we can even stop there. I think that the problem with this movie is that it somehow became like the political lightning rod of 2019. It became the Ghostbusters 2016 of 2019, where right. it's like, for some reason, this mostly innocuous movie is like this thunderdome of like conversation and debate over violence in film is it you know endorsing that is it instigating that is it political is it a anti-pc culture thing like and then the conversation spiral from there and it's impossible to walk into this movie for me anyway probably for you too without some of that like chatter in the back of your head sure right yeah so i i don't know i tried not to let that color anything for me and i will say the movie does overtly state like when he goes on murray's show robert de niro's show and says, I'm not a political guy, Murray. Um, I feel like that was almost them like getting ahead of that a little bit. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, but at the same time, everything after, out of his mouth afterwards. Like, it's a movie full of like undercutting the thing it just said. And that's kind of how I feel about it, right? Where it's like, whether it's like him gaining confidence and like being undercut by scenes that happen next, or just that scene, I'm not a political guy. Everything out of his mouth after that is a political like agenda to an extent. And sure, it's mostly yeah. a mediation on like mental health and how we like we marginalize these people and then fucking, you know, completely ignore them. And then we get surprised when shit happens. You know what I'm saying? So I do understand that. But it's the same thing. It's just like it's a little too cutesy. Like it's like I, you're right. Getting ahead of it, I guess, in a way, which is like if you're making a statement, make a statement. Don't put a fucking like like a little like caution. You know what I mean? Like don't put a parental advisory sticker on your fucking film, which is kind of how I felt about it, you know? And again, what you said, and we will get back to the film itself. This is very interesting to me that usually when it comes to censorship, when it comes to, uh, to, 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 to blaming art for inciting violence and stuff like that, it's usually, and not to make sides here, but it's usually the right, right? Like that's generally how it works. It's very interesting that like everyone on every side of the aisle like kind of had a differing fucking opinion than is usual for them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Very odd for me. But um so where, let me ask you this. Like, where does the movie fall apart for you if it falls apart at all? Um, I mean, the character of Arthur just isn't that interesting to me. Nor um, is he the Joker, I would say, but continue. I, yeah, I mean, I think you, you kind of nailed it. But I mean, it, and then it got me sort of spiraling on the question of, well, what is the Joker? You know, and how did we quantify that? And we talked about that a little bit on our previous podcast. Um, but this is a movie in which, again, you feel just like it's not even that you feel sympathy for this character because it's impossible to. 
um, because he's given every lonely uh, murderer trope that you can be given. He's got the the kind of Norman Batesy mother that he lives with and everything, right. who's also deranged, played by the great what Francis Conroy. Conroy, yep. She's yeah, um, he's uh, can't hold down a job. There's a series of comical, tragic misunderstandings that lead him to lose his job, but he can't articulate himself enough to argue for himself. Um, he loses access to mental health care. He gets access to a gun early in the movie, and it's like, I wonder if he's going to use that. Oh, spoiler alert, he does a right. lot. <laughs> not just once, not just twice, but thrice. Um, yeah. But I will say that it actually comes together for me in the last 10 to 15 minutes. Really? Just in terms of, yeah, yeah, I actually would. I will give the movie credit in terms of... Um, creating at least for the last 10 or 15 minutes a genuinely tense set piece not in terms of well what's going to happen but how and i think that it nails it and i think that a lot of that is due to the score um but some of it's due to uh todd phillips direction definitely a large part of the movie's success is joaquin phoenix's efforts even if they aren't utilized in the best way but I think that all of three of those elements definitely come together for the last like 10 to 15 minutes. Of the movie. Yeah. I mean. From maybe like a purely filmmaking standpoint, which I won't take away, but I, at the same time, and I think I, not to go back to the taxi driver, well too much here. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I made this statement before, which is like, at no point is Travis Bickle, someone who you're putting on your shoulders being like, Hey, you know, he's not Rudy, you know, like right. he's, he's, not, he's not someone that you should ever at any point be like, all right. And I think that's the difference between, you're right, like Travis Bickle has some agency and kind of decides to go down a path. Whereas that Arthur Fleck feels like uh, the, the wheels are in motion. He's already going down that path, whether he has, he wants to or not. You know what I'm saying? That's just kind of like, see, now I'm hesitating saying that because again, it's just making it sound like society made him do something. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, they give him this sort of messianic, like, oh, I'm on the hood of a car. Oh, everyone loves me. Like they are propping up the actions of this, guy which by the way like barely has agency to to control his own life or has no agency to control his own life let alone start a fucking revolution for him to be like the clown prince of crime which at no point do i think he actually becomes in this film either i I think that my main beef with him is that he's the kind of crazy in which they give motivation to the murders that he commits in the movie and that sort of takes away like the joker of it all for me And again, I think there's an argument to be made that like, well, Joker isn't any one thing and comics change all the time and, you know, characters change. And in the course of 50, 70, 100 years, like a character is going to go through a lot of iterations. Sure. But in this movie, every single person that we see him kill and every step along the way is motivated by revenge or um, being upset with a person for, in his eyes, mistreating him. Um, Like down to the three Wall Street dudes who he murders on the subway. This is spoilers. Don't fucking listen if you haven't seen it. Um, (laughs) Down to the three subway uh, Wall Street bros who he murders, who are being awful to this woman, throwing French fries at her, and then beating him up. He's literally defending himself up until he's actively trying to kill them. Uh, Down to who else does he kill? Uh, His his fake buddy from his job um, played by a great character actor Amazing whose name I don't fucking know. Guy. He's in everything. He's um, a Barry in Boardwalk and everything. He's incredible. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's fantastic. Um, he kills him and lets the, the little man go. 
Um, so I was like, okay, there's a weird morality here where, because that little guy was nice to him, he's going to let him go. But right. then there's some question of, did he kill the neighbor who he had a fake relationship with? We don't know. Um, then he kills Murray, Robert De Niro kills his mother for lying to him and being delusional and abusive. Um, I don't know. Like the, he just has a personal connection with every person he kills in this movie. And that that was enough for me to be like, this is more like the machinist than it is taxi driver, sure. you know, because in the machinist, all the violence that he does, it's to people that he knew and they had it coming him, sort of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I, that was, uh, that was the other thing I kind of stated, which is just like, you know, the killing joke, which I think is maybe the one comic that they really did try to lean on a little bit here in terms of like, oh, uh, well, how does the Joker become the Joker? And I said this before on the other podcast, I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself, but it, it, it is the idea that Joker's not some crazy fucking asshole who has zero agency. Joker's a total normal guy who is just pushed to a limit. And then when you fall off that cliff, right? Like, I mean, as inarticulate as uh, as Heath Ledger said, all you need is one, like what, push, right? Is he swinging around and shit? Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of the crux of it. It's far more interesting to say, like, how do you go from White Knight to, you know, like a fucking killer? That's interesting mm-hmm. because I think humans inherently, maybe this is like the humanist in me, like we're not born evil, I hope. You know what I mean? Like it's whole nature versus nurture conversation. But generally speaking, it's like, I think if you're born as a blank slate, you can learn to love, you can learn to hate. It's mm-hmm. far more fascinating to be like, uh, someone was normal. They were just like you and I, a child of God, if you will. And then they chose, you know, they made these decisions. They, they went down a path. It's way more sure. interesting to me than to be like, he's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. like the, the mental, the mental ill thing just kind of bothered me. I, to be honest, because it felt like unnecessary, and they could have maybe fixed that. It wouldn't have fixed the whole thing, but just by not calling a Joker, like if this was just Arthur or Fleck, you know, <laughs> it'd be so stupid. But it, you know what I'm saying? Like, it would be a better, uh, better way to tell that story. I just feel like the mental illness thing kind of fell super flat for me. Beyond having one scene where they're like they cut your funding, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just right. doesn't doesn't work for me, dude. Well, I mean, he just starts in too fragile of a place. If he had been, because what the trailers led me to believe up to a point is that he was just sort of a pitiful guy who was doing his best to stay positive, and then one day he breaks. And I was like, that could potentially be an interesting Joker origin, whatever. Not that we need an origin story for the Joker, but if we're going to get one, okay. But this guy is not that guy. He's just this profoundly disturbed individual and you find out he had these horrible, like this horrible history of abuse that took it to a new weird level of like realism in a movie that wasn't really trying for realism for most of it. Just that like he was a child who was chained up to the radiator, radiator and, yeah. you know, had been starved and beaten and everything. And I was like, how did he get back with the mom then? Um, yeah. But, what city? Maybe that's the point. Maybe Gotham has yeah. like the shittiest child protective services. <laughs> right. Uh, what do you think about the weird, like, Batman connection? Like, I, I, another thing, I feel like you kind of don't need Thomas Wayne in this. Like, you don't need Thomas Wayne in this movie at all. I feel like I guess you do for the plot points, but... You don't, but on, on an intellectual level, maybe not an intellectual, on mm-hmm. some level, on some level of that uses my brain actively, I was like, that's kind of interesting to make Thomas Wayne an asshole. And I know you brought that up, too. Um, you know, I, I appreciated that, I guess. A little bit, you know, just that he's this kind of like dick. But then at the same time, he's not that far off in terms of how he behaves towards Arthur. This guy did go to his house and touch his kid and try to choke his butler. 
So I would say that the the one punch to the face was a reasonable response to being cornered. In and the after like five minutes of talking to him normally, yeah. <laughs> like I got to give Thomas Wade a little bit of credit here. That's to be actually honest. patience of a saint. Not right. a bad guy. You know, I'm coming around on Thomas Wade. I think, I think this guy's really the hero of the film. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Up with the 1% down with the rest of the 99. You get him, Tommy. Uh, yeah. I mean, I thought that was a, you know, again, like I understand for, for, it just seemed like faux social commentary. Like, I think that's what it was. It's just like, it, it seemed like a fucking like a film school student saying like, I want to say something about yeah. like wealth inequality, man. And yeah, so they bro. like, I don't know. And it's like beyond that, I do think like had they, had this been connected to an actual Batman trilogy or something like that, like might've been an interesting thing. Cause if you're going to say, fuck the comics, we're going to do our own thing. There is something inherently interesting about making like the Joker, maybe the illegitimate child of Thomas Wayne, where he mm-hmm. can have a reason to hate Bruce Wayne, even though that's antithetical to like what the comics are, you know, like the, the whole point is the Joker doesn't have a fucking reason for anything. He's, just, right. he's incredible. Like, I know I should admire that, but he kind of is like, there's no, there's no rhyme. He doesn't, he doesn't get ruled by the fucking, uh, push a button in response, the levy response thing that other humans have, you know what I'm saying? So right. it's just interesting to like deconstruct that to the point where like, okay, well, yeah, I guess he has a reason to hate them because Bruce Wayne got everything that he wanted. Like he right. sees Bruce Wayne as what he could have been had he just, you know, had and, the love and of his And then to, to add insult to future injury, the idea of Bruce Wayne becoming the person that beats him up on a regular basis would just be... <laughs> Another right. Yeah, I mean, that's that. funny, but think about that. Like, that's kind <laughs> yeah. of amazing, right? Uh, yeah. So, my, my I said this too. It's like my beef is the fucking fiftieth goddamn time we've seen the crime alley death scene. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I did say this. I like the idea that because my fucking beef with Batman eighty nine has always been like Jack Napier, and we've said this is like why was he in crime alley? Like, yeah. why is he directly the guy who pulls Devil the trigger? The pale moonlight, and then he points a gun at a child, and the other guy has to be like. Hey, Jack, we got to go. You just killed the most powerful and rich people in the city. Hey, right. it's also a child. Uh, you're Which a I love they don't even gloss over that in this new one at all. Like the guy yeah. kills the parents, sure. And then he gets the fuck out of there because even he has a code. But Jack right. Napier, nah, man. You grab as many pearls as you can. You don't pick the ones up off the ground. You get out of there. Yeah, God damn it. He's uh, got them, God damn it. <laughs> this is it a Chinatown sequel? <laughs> he goes to Gotham. <laughs> get about it. It's Gotham. Chinatown 2, it's Gotham, goddammit. Oh, goddammit. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, so I like that in an indirect way. Like, uh, the Joker's actions led to this demise. And again, it, it, it forces them. Like, the minute Batman's sort of born, you could say he has to go to Ra's al Ghul. He's got to do all this other shit. Sure, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a way, the first step on the, the thousand fucking mile journey of Batman is when his parents get killed there. So it's like they are intrinsically linked. And I do thought that... I, Think that's interesting but at the same time it's like we've been beaten over the fucking head with that origin story so many times i think right. we've seen six or seven different depictions of it so i just got a little annoyed that we had to waste any time on that you know it, like I also that- at the very end i don't mean to interrupt you because i saw you getting really ramped up there and i'm sorry but um just the idea and maybe i misunderstood this the very final scene of the movie he's in a mental institution again right. and he's, he's smoking a cigarette and it's super close up on his face like the entire movie because, you know, they're like, when in doubt, just do a tight close-up on Joaquin Phoenix's face. This is all directors, by the way, not just Todd Phillips. Right. Like, fucking PTA, I see you. You're like, he got rid of all of his exterior shots in Inherent Vice and swapped them for close-ups of Joaquin Phoenix's face. Never mind. 
but it's a close-up of his face. He's smoking a cigarette, and uh, he starts laughing, and the psychiatrist goes, what, what's so funny? You want to tell me what's so funny? He's like, you wouldn't get it. And then it cuts to a quick shot of Bruce Wayne with his dead parents in Crime Alley. And he's like, yeah, you wouldn't get it. <laughs> right. And is, is the implication there that he somehow understands that Bruce Wayne is going to grow up to be Batman, his arch nemesis? Is that the joke? Or is the joke that the kid is alone now like he was? Or what? Yeah, I don't even know. I honestly, that sounds fucking horrific. And I saw this movie and I must have exercised that shit from my okay. mind. And then literally the next scene is him padding down the hallways of the institution with bloody footprints to imply right. that he killed the psychiatrist who has not wronged him, despite the fact that the code that they establish is that he only kills people who have wronged him. Well, see, you're coming around to my logic here on why this doesn't make any fucking sense, because it's like pick a lane and stick to yeah. it. Doesn't mean I'll love it, but it means I'll respect the rules of your universe, which they haven't I done. Because, see, if they had built something, and I'm not ever going to be one to suggest this is how you fix your movie, because there are hundreds of ways to go. But if you had built something where it was a guy who was doing his best in spite of the circumstances and just breaks, he has one bad day, and then he turns into this, like, anarchistic murderer madman, I could get on board with that. That could be an interesting Joker movie, like a good old one-off goof. That is not this movie. Again, throughout the entire movie, his progression is just killing people who do fucked up shit to him. So it kind of leaves you nowhere to go. There's no runway once he kills Robert De Niro. Right. The movie, well, thankfully the movie ends like 10 minutes later. That's true. <laughs> they have to end the movie because they're like, where else do we go here? Yeah, I mean, there's some debate about that. Some people are like, no, did this happen? And I'm like, no, it happened. I mean, if you look at Joaquin in that last scene, he's aged up. He's like visibly older. He's got grays in his hair and shit like that, you know, which right. I thought was like maybe a callback to Killing Joke itself where it starts Batman is in Arkham uh, being like, I, I need you to know because we know how so this is going to end. You know, Young Batman's running around. Yes, newspaper clippings like Hannibal Lecter. And he's like, I'm going to beat this guy up and escape from this hospital. So that's right. why he was laughing. Okay, it's yeah. a good movie. I take it back. <laughs> no, don't do that. I mean, is it is it a complete fucking like mess? No, and I, you've seen me kind of defend it. It's like, I don't like that if I, if I feel lukewarm on something, I'm attacked and right. I'm a hipster. And it's like, no, I just like, I, do I appreciate it wasn't a fucking $200 million fucking snooze fest of CGI? Like, yeah. no, nah, man. Like, I, I do really like that. I think that's great. I, I like the implications of this movie being successful more than I like the actual movie, you know? Um, and it's not, it's, there are worse things to, to prop up and say, oh, what a great movie. Like, if people want to say this is their favorite movie of the year, Fine. I would suggest they see more movies, but that's fine. That's cool. Because we're getting a standalone character study. Not a good one, but it's a character study, and it's a standalone, and it's a comic book film. Right. And that's, that's a rare thing in this landscape. And it's sad that the bar is so low, but just moving back towards that formula of one-offs and standalones and like character pieces, like that's much more interesting to me, and that's something I would much rather watch than Thor 5 at this point. And I loved Ragnarok, but like, I'm done. Love like, and I'm thunder, just, bro. Love and thunder, I'm, though. I'm fucking done. You know? Bring a Natport back, bro. Later. Bring a Natport. She's coming back. That is not a feature. That's a bug for me. <laughs> um, all right, man. I mean, like, again, it's like, look, I think that there were some things it did that were really solid. I think, again, I, I think it's, it's, it's like, um, Sports analogy, your favorite thing in the world, Max. Okay, so listen. In oh, I gotta go. In two, <laughs> just end the episode. <laughs> in two thousand three, right? The Lakers went out and they had they had Shaquille O'Neal, they had Kobe still, right? 
And yeah. they, they lost the year before. So what they did is they went out and they got Gary Payton, who was a great player from the Seattle Supersonics at that point. And, uh, and they got Carl Malone, who was a Hall of Famer, I think second, third all time in points, right? And they were both old, but they brought him onto the team to make like a championship push. And everyone's like, on paper, you can't fucking beat that team. They lost in the first round. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can have fucking four or five individual great pieces, but if they don't know how to gel together, it's not going to fucking work. And that's sort of how I felt about this film. A lot of things I liked about it. I liked the way it looked. I liked the soundtrack. I liked Joaquin. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't coalesce into something that was meaningful and will be memorable. That's the other thing. Think about this. I have zero desire to rewatch that movie. There's no there there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh, you saw it once and you're like, I experienced it. It's not like yeah. the best of these comic book movies, like not to shit on Marty and is like, they're not cinema. The best, the, the cream of the crop, you can go back and watch them a bunch of times. This and how bad. much, like, I feel like the romance thing could have worked in a, in a different context or in a different, with a different presentation because there's this, you know, third act reveal that the woman who he's had a relationship with the entire movie, he never had a relationship with. So not a shocker, by the way, at all. (laughs) And it's not a shocker because, again, no human woman um, with a working brain would look at this guy and go, he's normal, he's a prospect. Let me bring Um, him around my daughter, right? Like, that was the other thing. Like, I could buy the very first interaction they have where she's stuck in the elevator with this guy and she does, like, the whole gun to her head thing. This place sucks, huh? Um, but And then that's it. But aside from that, like, she would not be hanging out with him in the hospital when his mom's in the hospital. She wouldn't be, you know, eating dinner with him and laughing. This guy is not funny at all, we should also right. mention. Like, none of his jokes connect because he doesn't understand, you know, what people find funny, but she thinks he's hilarious. Um, like shots of her in the comedy club laughing and stuff. And it's like, oh, okay, that's not real. And then they go through the trouble in case you didn't get that uh, to, <laughs> to not only have her go, oh, you're Arthur, right? When he knocks on her door, but also show us flashbacks of, you know, that's him with her. Now that's her removed from the frame. That's him Tyler her, Durden. That's her everything that you thought. Yeah, like it's Tyler Durden and Fight Club. In Fight Club, it works because there's almost no indication the first time you're watching it that Tyler Durden isn't a real-ass dude. Right. Uh, in this, there's every indication that this is bullshit. So, I don't know. I think that that could have worked if they had, you know, you know, built him up to be a guy that, that is somewhat normal on the outside, right. a little bit, you know, and then uh, get, get us to that moment and have her go, oh, you're Arthur Wright? and not do any of the flashback shit, just leave it at that. Oh, you're Arthur, right? And then everybody go, whoa. Whoa. You would already get it. They were smashing, and she didn't know his name. No, some people would think that. That's the problem. Like, Robert, I love him, but goddamn it, Robert's like, bro, I didn't know. Bro, I I thought, like, yo, he's got confidence now, bro. And I'm like, Robert, goddamn. Damn it, man. Do you really, you know what I'm saying? He's the guy that that nervously laughs at a very high volume when anything uncomfortable happens, which is his entire life all the time. Uh, Let me end it with this uh, because there is some. Happy birthday, Robert. (laughs) Yeah, it is his birthday. Um, Let's let's say this. There is now speculation, right? Joaquin came out and was like, I'll do a sequel to this. Did he really? Yeah, he came out today and was like, I'm open to it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so my issue with is this. Like, again, the Campbellian student uh, that I am, right? Like, I don't know where that arc goes because I don't think he had an arc in this first film. 
You know, we talked about the, the Batman Begins and how, like, oh, there's a complete arc there. But what you do when you do the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises is you make that initial transformation the first yeah. uh, leg of a bigger transformation. How can there be a sequel that actually continues well, this? Because I don't understand his pathology, the structure of the movie. And I know I keep coming back to it, but this was my big sticking point. And I don't know if it was as much for you, is that he the whole movie is structured around the people that have wronged him. He gets revenge on them. And then by the end of the movie, he's gotten revenge on all the people that have wronged him. So what is the pathology of the character? How does his mind work? Like, how does that mechanism work in his brain? Is he now just a crazed killer who will kill anybody? And, like, he sees absurdism and everything? Because that wasn't really what they were selling us in this movie. Right. No, I'm I mean, that's the question. All right, full stop. All right, cool. That's my point. You're, you're, you're saying what I'm saying, which is, like, that would be an interesting thing to explore in, in a second movie, if they didn't have then, you know, portrayed their own internal logic of his pathology, like you said. Like, right. if, if, at the end, if the end of this movie, he's just killed the people who have wronged him and then he goes away, you can then, second movie, be like, how does he go from someone who has a moral code to a person who has zero code? That's fucking fascinating. But they, right. they, they, they fucking screwed the pooch, man. Like, I don't think they can do that now. And so it's like, I, when I heard that today, I'm just like, God damn it, leave well enough alone. And it's not that well, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, I'm glad it exists, say, but yeah, yeah. Again, like positive thoughts here. I'm glad it exists. The score, and I am, I don't remember her name, but she's wonderful. Like, she does this really, like, tonal, moody. It almost reminded me of um, the Hannibal score from the TV show up to a point. Like, this just sort of otherworldly... Oh, uh, guy, I couldn't with a thousand years pronounce this. Hildur Guandadur. 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 Is that it? You nailed it? Uh, I don't know. Um, but great job to her. I did hear like a uh, behind the scenes thing where after the first murder that he commits, um, he goes to that bathroom and he starts dancing and the score plays. Apparently on the page in the script, it was he goes to the bathroom and he's panicking and is wiping the makeup off his face and trying to cover up his crime. And they started playing one of her themes that she had written. He started dancing to it. And it was just him and Todd Phillips in the room. And they changed the scene to just him dancing. Right. Uh, and I kind of kind of liked that they were making some choices. They were trying to find something there. Well, apparently yeah. a lot of the film was written like on the set. Like they, yeah. they had a, they had an outline, but they would rewrite things a lot. Apparently, mm-hmm. and it's sort of shows, but whatever. Yeah, you know? it sort of does. But no, like I'm I'm not mad that it exists. I'm glad for what it represents more than what it is. Um, I'm a little baffled by it, uh, and I'm not ruling out that a sequel could be good. There are some good things in here. I just don't personally see a path forward based on what they built here. So that's my main beef. Um, but again, I would probably give it like a C or a C plus. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it nails a lot of the technical shit. Joaquin Phoenix can't be overstated what a treasure he is, but that's sort of old hat at this point. Like it goes without saying. Uh, yeah, people know that he's great, you know? Yeah. That you can't sell a movie on that. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, I feel, I feel like, you know, you were worried we weren't going to have anything to say, and I feel like we, we got to some interesting conclusions. We gave reasons for why we didn't like stuff. I think we did a good job, man. So, yeah. stop doubting yourself. I'm patting myself on the back right now. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, you're amazing. So, all right, look, that, that, let's get out of here while, while we still have some goodwill, you know, for it's a, it's a congratulatory <laughs> so circle jerk. clear, m- movie review for Joker, eh, movie review for Max. For, us? <laughs> for Max, specifically me. 
Oh, okay. Thumbs up. <laughs> but no, you're great too, man. You put yourself on the back. Oh, uh, we God did it, guys. It. We win. That's it. We're out. Yeah.